as we continue our consideration of the Word of God in 1 Peter, we read now 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, and we'll read the whole of this passage of the Word of God. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the older. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. read the word of God thus far and now we direct our attention to verses 6 and 7. Read that again. 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. It's a striking thing, beloved, that it is the Apostle Peter who speaks here of humility and who emphasizes in this chapter humility beginning in verses 1 through verse 7. We know, and we know well, that all of the disciples struggled to be humble. They were proud, but that was especially 
the case with Peter. Peter was a proud man. He considered himself to be the best of Christ's disciples. And he even boasted of that at times. You think, for example, of the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples, when Jesus, during the Supper, warned all of the disciples, because, as I said, they all struggled with pride, warned all of the disciples this, with these words, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. And while the rest of the disciples were quiet in response to that, Peter spoke up. And Peter spoke up with these words, Though all men shall be offended, and Peter by that all men meant all these other men here, these other disciples here, though all of these men shall be offended, yet will I never be offended. He was proud, thinking he could stand on his own against the temptation of the devil. And so the Apostle Peter needed to be and was humbled by God. That happened to him that very night. It happened in the incident of Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ and denying him three times. And Christ looking at Peter and the cock crowing and Peter going out and weeping bitterly. He was humbled and he was humbled by Christ. He was humbled by Christ who brought him to see that he was a sinner. He was humbled as Christ brought him to a, an awareness of the terrible sin that he had committed in denying Christ and thus a realization of how undeserving he was of Christ and undeserving on account of being a sinner of anything good from God or from Christ. And that apostle, Apostle Peter, now as it flowed out of his own experience, warns us here concerning pride and commands us concerning humility, specifically concerning humility in relation to the heavy hand of God that comes upon us. And you could say that Peter's own experience with pride adds urgency to his warning. Be humble. And Peter might add, might very well add, be humble or you might have to learn humility in the hard and difficult way that I had to learn humility. 
So that's the word of God to us tonight. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Consider that under the theme, humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, and we'll notice three things. The, the mighty hand of God. Secondly, humbling ourselves under it. And then thirdly, the encouragement given. I think it ought to be obvious to us, beloved, that our text contains important instruction from Christ concerning how to deal with suffering. That's the subject here, suffering. This is not the only text in Scripture that speaks to that. In fact, there are many places in Scripture that instruct us concerning suffering and concerning how to face and deal with suffering in this life. And that's something that is addressed frequently in Scripture and addressed very often in the Word of God because suffering is a big part of life for the child of God in this world and also a very necessary part of life for the believer. Every child of God is subjected to suffering. And not only a little, but suffering that we experience our whole life long in this world. Many, as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And he doesn't simply mean by that that they are many in number, but he also means by that this, that the afflictions of the righteous are many in relation to and in comparison to the afflictions of the ungodly. Many more for the people of God. Which is exactly what Asaph struggled in, struggled with as expressed in Psalm 73. For him, the burning question was really this, why do the wicked prosper, but I am daily chastened by the hand of God? Why so much suffering for me and so little, even none, in comparison for the ungodly, for the wicked? Suffering is a reality. And so Christ instructs us here on regarding how to cope with suffering. And what is that instruction? What is the Word of God telling us concerning suffering? The Word of God says this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under that hand of God that makes you suffer, that brings that suffering upon you. What comes first, therefore, in our suffering is that we acknowledge God's mighty hand in it. God's hand is a mighty hand. God's hand is a very powerful hand. 
God's hand is a hand that no one can resist. No one. God's hand is what represents God at work. God's hand represents God doing things. And this is what the text means when it says God's hand is mighty. Namely that if God has planned, if God has purposed to do something, he will do it. And it will happen. And there is no one that can prevent it from happening. We might not like what God's hand is doing. We might not like what God's hand is doing in the world or in the church or in our own individual lives or in our families, but we can do nothing about it. As confessed by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, the Lord does according to his will in heaven and upon earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? You can certainly stay or stop the hand of a child. And you can stay or stop the hand of an adult. But not, not God's hand. And according to our text, it is that hand of God that sends this suffering on the people of God. It is that hand of God which we cannot stop, which we cannot stay, that sends suffering on you and me. It is that hand of God that brings sickness into your life. It's that hand of God that causes you to experience pain in your life. It is that hand of God that brings upon you the experience of loneliness in life. It is that hand of God that causes you to have the grief and sorrow as a believer of having a wayward child in your family. And it is that hand of God that will continue to make you and me suffer all our life long. Affliction until our life is over. And here is this hand of God, a mighty hand, bringing all this upon us and we cannot stay. We cannot stop. We cannot impede that hand of God. And how suffering that hand of God presses down upon us. In our afflictions, that hand of God is a hand we cannot escape or cannot get away from. We feel the power and the force and we struggle and we groan under the weight and force of the hand of God. A hand sometimes that makes us squirm a hand 
that causes the child of God to weep, a hand that leads the believers sometimes to cry out to God. And so mighty is the hand of God sometimes that we seriously struggle under the weight of the hand of God. Often the questions arise in our minds that we sang of a little moment, a short moment ago from Psalm 77. Has God forgotten to be kind to me? So much of what God does to me seems not to make sense doesn't seem to make sense in light of what God has promised that all things will work together for my good in this life. So why does God do these things to me? Why does God cause me to experience serious struggle under the weight of his heavy hand upon me? Why does God do it when God says to me as a believer, that I am one of his beloved, and that he loves me, and that I am precious in his sight, and that his son died on the cross to be punished for all of my sins, so that the punishment of sin is gone. If all of that is true, why the heavy hand of God upon me? It's then, beloved, that we need to keep coming back to this fundamental truth as set forth in our text. This is God's hand. God, the only God. God, the sovereign Lord, the God who is sovereign over all things, including our suffering. God, because he is God who does what he pleases. And God, in doing what he pleases, does what he has planned according to his eternal counsel, his perfect will. And he is God. He doesn't have to answer to me. He doesn't have to explain himself to me. He is God. It's the hand of God that makes us suffer. Now, there are many who deny that, of course, and you know that. And somehow they find comfort or try to find comfort in the fact that God does not send affliction. How foolish. Because if God doesn't send it, who does? Where does it come from? Is it somehow outside God's control? And do we really want the source of our suffering to be Satan, the devil? With God helplessly standing on the sidelines, unable to do anything about him? In contrast to that, when we confess it is the hand of God, there is in that very confession hope and even a note of rejoicing that comes from the child of God. Yes, yes, we are afflicted. It's a heavy hand that comes upon us in our afflictions. 
It's a hand that seems to crush us at times. But whose hand is it? It's God's hand. God who is our God. God who is our Father in Jesus Christ. God who is our Savior. God who loves us. That's whose hand touches us and is heavy. And that makes all the difference. And so therein, first of all, is the believing response to affliction. Confessing this is the hand of God. But the main word of God before us, beloved, is the admonition of our text. Humble yourselves under that hand. You understand that that's a very necessary admonition for us to hear. And that's a very necessary admonition because our our response to afflictions, our response to sufferings in this life is ordinarily or naturally characterized by and naturally involves on our part pride. We don't respond in humility to suffering. We ordinarily respond in pride suffering and pride becomes evident in many ways in our response to affliction I think for example of how when we are afflicted we think that we are wiser than God is and we think what God is doing to me is not good for me God it appears to me has made a mistake here this is not what God ought to be doing to me or to my family or to my loved ones. He ought to be doing something else instead. If God would only do this instead, then that would be good. That's pride. But pride can also show itself in our response to suffering by the idea we have in our minds that we can deal with the troubles that we experience on our own. We're not willing to admit our helplessness. We don't want to come across as being weak and frail and helpless. And so we don't seek help from our fellow believers. We don't seek help from the elders in accordance with the injunction of James 5.14 where we are called to call upon the elders in our suffering to pray with us and for us and we don't seek help from God because I can handle this. I've been through it before. I know what to do about this. I know how to cope. You notice how the text addresses that evidence of pride in verse 7 when it says this is what we ought to do instead of being proud 
We ought to cast all of our cares upon God. Not proudly thinking, I can take care of this myself, but humbly praying to God in our afflictions, seeking Him, depending upon Him, getting down on our knees and praying and saying to the Lord, Lord, take my burdens, take my cares, take my troubles and my worries. And God says, He will do that. He will. And He will do that because you're one of the redeemed in Jesus Christ. But when it comes to pride, in our response to affliction, that pride is especially evident in this way, that we do not think that we deserve what God's heavy hand brings upon us. And so we say often in our response to affliction, why does God do this to me? me why am I and my family experiencing these troubles in life if it happened to someone else so and so another person that we can think of even another person in the church but otherwise the ungodly around us we could we would say well I can understand it if that happened to them They have those kinds of troubles coming in their lives. Why does God do it to me? A believer, a child of God, one who strives to live a godly life before him. That, beloved, is pride. And that's the pride of thinking that we are better than others and thinking that we are good in ourselves and thinking that because of our goodness, supposed goodness, that troubles should not come our way. And thinking that because of all that we are and all that we have done as though we have done great things, that we've been good, obedient and very faithful children to God, that we deserve constant happiness in this life. The word of God is, don't think that way, but humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And humbling yourself under God's mighty hand in affliction is to say, God has every right to do this to me, to make my life difficult. He has every right. And he has every right to do this to me for one reason, and that is because I have sinned against God. I don't have any claim to a trouble-free life. I have no right to expect my life to be smooth and easy. If I deserve anything from God, I deserve things to be much, much worse in my life. A heavier hand of God upon me. Constant 
distress in my life. Unimaginable and unbearable afflictions in this life. And then forever and forever in hell. That's what I deserve. The Word of God says, let that humble response characterize you when the Lord afflicts. There are many examples in Scripture of saints of God who by the grace of God did respond that way to their suffering. Most, most outstanding and really the supreme example of that is Job. Job, who was terribly afflicted by God and yet who gave a remarkable confession and response to that affliction. He showed humility. Disaster struck in his life. He lost everything, including all of his children. And that all happened in one day. And what was his response? The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then his wife came to him. And she said to him, Job, enough, enough. Don't try to maintain your integrity. Don't try to maintain your godliness. Curse God and die. Bring an end to it all. And what did Job say? What? Shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? Do you really think, he was saying to his wife, do you really think we only deserve good things from God? Don't you realize we're sinners? Shall we not receive evil? Don't you realize that's what we deserve? Trouble? Affliction? A humble response. And humility is, beloved, that when the Lord's heavy hand comes upon us, we bow down before Him, and instead of saying, why does God do this to me? We say, this is what I deserve. And I deserve this because I sin. I sin every day against God. I break God's commandments. I am unworthy of good things from God. I deserve evils from the hand of God. And if I'm going to raise any question about the afflictions that I have and that I experience, then the question ought, ought to be this. Why, does, why doesn't God send more afflictions upon me? More. It shouldn't surprise me as a sinner that I suffer in this life. What should surprise me is that I do not suffer more in this life. And when that 
by the grace of God because only God can work that in you and me by his spirit when that by the grace of God is our humble response to affliction then we realize that even when God is sending afflictions upon us and even when the hand of God upon us is a heavy hand there are many afflictions they are great they seem too much to us even when that is all true that humble response to affliction which acknowledges what we really deserve from God is a humble response that shows us that God is actually being gracious and very merciful to us when he afflicts. It may sound strange to us, but that's one of the reasons that God sends us suffering. He sends us suffering so that we realize how gracious and how merciful he really is to us, how good he is to us. Because he sends us afflictions in order to bring us to see that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered for us. And in our suffering, our minds must go to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our afflictions, our minds must go to the afflictions that he experienced, that he endured in his earthly life and especially on the cross. And our minds must go to what Christ suffered and to the afflictions that Christ endured in his suffering with this as our understanding of it, that he suffered all of that for our sin. He came into our flesh. He assumed responsibility for all of our sins. Millions of them. Millions of them. He faced the wrath of God. He faced the gaping fires of hell he suffered with a suffering that's impossible for us ever to understand ever to know and he suffered it all for our sins our sins not his own ours and he stood before God on our behalf and he said father punish me for sin Punish me, and not them, not my people. And when our minds go to that suffering of Christ, then we realize, because he did that for us, we are not receiving what we deserve in our sufferings. We're not receiving what we deserve now, and we will not receive what we deserve eternally and so the sufferings that God brings upon us as he works in us this knowledge and understanding and confession by the work of the spirit brings us to see and to consider Christ's suffering and to understand that because of him we don't suffer as much as we could and we don't suffer as much as we should and we don't suffer as much as we deserve because he suffered for our sin. The heavy hand of God is not against us. 
Yes, it comes upon us, but it is not against us. And so, even in the suffering that seems overwhelmingly difficult for us, God is merciful. God is gracious and we thank and praise him for his grace because he's not punishing us and he's not bringing upon us the suffering that we really deserve. In Christ, he is gracious. The encouragement that the word of God gives us here is this at the end of verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time. God promises to exalt those who humble themselves under his mighty hand. He will lift them up. He will exalt them. He will lift us up out of our sufferings. He will give us relief from the burden and the weight and the sorrow of our sufferings. He will do that, as the text says, in due time. Literally, in the appointed time time and that refers of course to God's timing not ours but God's the time when God has planned to lift his heavy hand from us is when it will happen and when will that be well that will be when God's purpose for his heavy hand upon you and me has been reached that will be he will lift his hand that is that will be when His saving purpose has been reached in that suffering. God always does things with a purpose. God always does things with a saving purpose. He will lift his hand when that saving purpose has been reached, has been accomplished. And sometimes that saving, sanctifying purpose of suffering for a child of God that comes upon us through a particular affliction that God has, sometimes that purpose is reached in this life. He sends suffering. It accomplishes what God has purposed for that suffering. We have been humbled. We have been brought closer to God. We have been brought to understand the richness of God's grace and goodness. He has not caused us to suffer as much as we deserve. He has been faithful through it all and then the Lord says, now I will lift my hand. I will lift my hand and give you a time of relief from afflictions, a time of joy and peace and then with renewed strength of faith as the people of God, we put our trust in him more than before as we continue on in our pilgrim's journey through this life. Sometimes, sometimes he lifts it in this life. But not always. However, ultimately he will. And he will do that at the end. He will exalt us when he brings our earthly life to its end. Usually the child of God is not relieved of all the burdens and sufferings that God brings upon him in this life. 
not relieved in this life of that, so that you may very well live the rest of your life with a certain suffering. You may very well live the rest of your life with a wayward child. You may very well live the rest of your life with an unbelieving spouse. You may very well live the rest of your life in other trials and difficulties of life. That's because God has a saving purpose through those things. And his purpose has not yet been accomplished. And so he continues to make us suffer because he has uh, work that still needs to be done in us through all of that suffering. But during all of it, he is caring for you, verse 7. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever overlook that. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you in it all. You could say, here is the heavy hand of God that brings affliction upon us, but here is the other hand of God that is holding us. We're always in that hand of God, always in our Father's hand, our Father's hand that protects us. That's, as we said earlier, part of the comfort of suffering It comes from the hand of God, not the hand of the devil with God trying to push him away. But the hand of God that holds us, that holds us in love, that holds us as his precious possession in Jesus Christ. That's the hand that brings us suffering. Never to destroy, but always caring for you. And when God has finished his purpose with that suffering, then he will exalt you. He will take you out of this life to be exalted and to be with him. What a wonderful promise that is to us. We will be exalted one day, lifted away from and lifted above all of our afflictions. All the sufferings of this life will be over, finished, and gone. Raised above it into eternal glory, made glorious like our Lord Jesus Christ. And raised to that because now we are ready. Ready to be in heaven and ready to be with him. And this is God's promise because this is God's word us. If God says it, we believe it. God has everything planned perfectly, also all of our suffering. And so for a little while yet, we must live in this life, in this night of sin and suffering, because we're still being prepared for glory. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. You are on the way to glory. His hand is shaping you for your place in glory. And soon he will take you there. That's the comfort. And that's our hope and blessedness. As we suffer as pilgrims in this life. May God grant us his grace to humble ourselves under his mighty 
but loving hand in all our suffering. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for Thy word to us in this day. Bless it to us. Give us an understanding and give us faith to believe and give us grace to humble ourselves under Thy hand and to put our trust and confidence in Thee through Christ and his finished work of being punished for all our sin, so that thou art gracious and merciful to us in our sufferings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.